first word we learn. And some people having a funny hat and or wig party. Sucks I'm gonna be out of town. You don't know what day it is. When is it? Friday. I'm out of town. Never grow out of it. No, no. Yeah, no. No means no. Hey, wanna rock out tonight? Oh, it's you. Let me guess. No. Yep. Yes. No, I meant yes to your no. But this Christmas. What was that you said? No. Yes. Yes! Carl is about to discover. I do want to take guitar lessons. I do want to learn how to fly. Yes, I would like to learn Korean. What he's always been missing. So wait, you can say yes to everything. Exactly. I wasn't open to stuff, and now I am. Things are changing for me. Yo, Carl, hitting the clubs, got a case of Red Bull, got to pull an all-nighter. Get down. Jim Carrey. I never had a Red Bull before, but I had a Red Bull last night. I really like Red Bull. Yeah, you seem a little hyper. Hey, after we chop, we should go to Red Bull. Okay, that'd be really Red Bull. That sounds Red like... Bull. Red I think Bull. I'd really... Red Bull. That's what she was asking for. Was I chewing gum before? Yes, man. Jay, I turned on Chingo, you're coming on there. Yes, it is often the hardest word to say, isn't it? I mean, maybe for some of us, it's not. We are just. Yes, men or yes, women. I had forgotten about that movie until I got to thinking about this sermon, and it's a good one. And you know, I think uh, we're ending our sermon series this morning on being overbooked and being stressed and busy and pulled in a number of different ways. And I just think about my own life and the fact that not just for me, but I think that for we, we get multiple requests each day, whether it's from our, our kids or whether it's from our coworkers, whether it's from our boss, whether it's from acquaintances, people are asking us to do things. And with each opportunity we have, with each opportunity that we have in life, we have that opportunity to say yes. But here is the thought for this morning, and really it's kind of the thought for the entire series that we've been in. What, what if our best yes in life is often stolen by the endless number of yeses that we say on a daily basis. Here's a way that I would say it in a sort of different way. Is there maybe, are we maybe saying too many yeses to things and we can't say yes to the most important thing in life? On one hand, every yes adds layers of busyness and stress that we have built up in our lives. But there's really one major thing that I notice in this movie trailer. You don't have to look at it too hard to notice that this guy is having a pretty good time in life just saying, yes. I mean, a yes can open your world up in ways that you never could have imagined. To put it very simply, and this is the way that we're going to kind of frame it this morning as we talk, a, a yes can really be a blessing to you, and it can bring blessing in ways that are impossible when we are just closed off to what God is asking of us in our lives. We're closed off and we're unwilling to trust the process. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Just trust the process. Well, there is a process in all of our lives that we need to trust, and it is God's process of things. And it's that major truth that will launch us into our topic for this morning. 
All of our time this morning will be centered around two very scary words. I'm convinced these are very scary words. It's easy to say them, but it's really hard to practice them and to believe in them. Trust and dependence. And let's admit it, dependence, that word there, in our culture is kind of a dirty word, right? To be dependent on something or on someone. What does it really mean if we are dependent on something or someone? We are weak. And there's so many people that operate in their lives and operate out of that kind of mindset. That I don't need you. I've got this on my own. If I do need you, it just means that I'm just a really weak person. When, when we bring it into the Bible, when we bring it into a faith context, that couldn't be further from the truth. That to need something or to need someone, more importantly, is not weak at all. And would you agree with me that we live in a culture that is very suspicious of things? We live in a culture that is very distrusting of people and things. And so naturally, if we live in that sort of a culture and a context, don't you imagine that we would treat our relationship with God in much the same way? That whatever God may say to us, whatever God may have for us, whatever God may promise to us, we naturally look at it and we are very suspicious. But here is the thing, and I've had the advantage this week of spending a week looking at trust. If there is one theme in Scripture that rings louder than so many others, it is this idea of trust. In fact, I just want to read a few verses for you this morning that talk about this idea of trust. Psalm 37.5, we start with that this morning, and Psalm 35 says this, 37.5 says it's about trust. Commit, it starts right off the bat. Commit everything that you do to the Lord, and then what's that word right there? What's it say? Trust Him. Not just say that you trust Him, not just believe that you should trust Him, but actually living out, trusting God every single day, and He will help you. Philippians 3.9 says it this way, pulling it in the New Testament. Paul says, I become righteous. You know, there's a lot of ways that we think that we become righteous and we become good and we become, God and I are really good here. But Paul says, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way, and this is such a big phrase, God's way of making us right with him depends on what? Faith. Put it another way, what's that word? Trust. Just trust me on this. Have a little Faith in me. Jeremiah 17, 7. Blessed are those who... Say that word again. Trust. You're going to say that word a lot today. You've got to say it a lot stronger than that, too. Blessed are those who... Trust. There you go. That's much better. Trust in the Lord and have made their hope and their confidence in Him. And then lastly, I want to read on this theme and topic of trust. Hebrews three fourteen. For if we are faithful to the end... Trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed we will share in all that belongs to Christ. I just want to stop there for a moment. This really isn't a part of the sermon, but I I like read that over and over again. And is that last phrase not just a major big phrase? I'll read that again. If we are faithful, if we are trusting, if we believe in what God promises to us, we will share not just in a percentage, not just in half, not just an almost all of, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Guys, do you get an idea of how big of a deal trust and faith and depending on God is? If we do it, we share in all that is 
God's. All that is Christ's. In fact, 220 times in all of Scripture the word trust is used. That's a pretty major number. 58 of those times are, they come in the book of Psalms alone. And certainly I can't stand here this morning, I don't have the time to stand here this morning and give you every Scripture on trust and obedience and faith. Can't give you all the major truths on trust with the large number of occurrences that happen in God's Word. But what I can do this morning is try to distill the vast amount of what the Bible says about trust into some easy to grab, some very meaningful and potentially life-shifting truths. And here's what I hope this morning. I I don't want you to get the idea right now at the beginning of this, oh, Ryan's going to send me out of here and I'm going to have like 50% more faith today. I'm going to have 50% more trust today. Like, I would really love it if Ryan would preach a sermon today and it would give me absolutely 100% more trust in my life today. I I can't guarantee that. I can't make that happen in your life. I wish I could. I could push a button and be like, hey, guess what? Trust for everybody. I can't do that. But what I think that I can do and the hope that I have for each of us is that we would wrestle with what it means to trust God, not just in part of our lives, but in every area of our life. And I think this is what often happens with trust and what happens with faith is that we can tell God, like, this is my example. Like, God, I trust you with my salvation. And God says, whoa, that was, that's really big of you there on that one. Like, because what's the other option? I mean, there is, like, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Clearly, he says that in Scripture. And so for us to say, God, I give that part of my life to you. Save me. I'll have faith in you in that. God says, that's a start, but that's really a small start. But God says, well, wait a minute, let me, um, let me look into your bank account. And you're like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, God. I mean, like, I gave you this over here, but you are not touching that. I don't know what it is for you. It may not be a bank account, but there is something, if not some things in your life that you just cannot let go of. You work so hard and you busy yourself so much to hold on to those things and you just let go. And you would let God take control of it all. Have faith in him. Have trust in him that he will do good things with it. It would open up so much of our lives. And the starting point for our sermon this morning comes, to me, one of arguably the greatest kings in all of Israel. We read about his story in 1 Kings chapter 3. We read about Solomon. I know about Solomon. Solomon was David's son. He was the third king in all of Israel, and Solomon has a very interesting beginning to his reign and to his rule in Israel. He's already begun to establish himself on the throne. He's settling into life as king when out of nowhere the Lord appears to him one night, and I want to read what it says here in these verses. 1 Kings 3, verses 5 through 12, this is what transpires. It says, that night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said to him, what do you want? I mean, think about this. God shows up in your life and asks, what do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. Like, some of you are already thinking, this is, I would do this, and this, and this, and this, okay? Like, i got to prioritize which is most important. Can you imagine that, that God shows up in your life and says, Tom Whitaker, what do you want, and I'll give it to you? That's a big moment. And he shows up to Solomon, and he says that. And this is amazing to me. It says, Solomon replied, You showed faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he was honest, and he was true, and he was faithful to you. And you have continued your faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on the throne. Me, Solomon. And so he says, Now, O Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father David, but I am like a little child. That's so key. 
right off the bat. King of all of Israel, and he has those words to say, I am but a little child who doesn't know his way around. Because what, how would our lives be much different if we took that attitude and had that humility in our lives that I am just nothing. God, just take me and lead me around. He says, here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous that they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart. Isn't that fascinating? Solomon, what do you want? I'll give you anything. The world is at this guy's fingertips. I could have anything. Riches. Fame. Anything. And what does he ask for? It's right there. What does he say? I want an understanding heart. I want that so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was, what's that word say? Pleased. So ask often, we strive in life, what in the world can I do that will please you, God? Well, that's at least one thing. Ask for things that aren't selfish. Ask for things that don't have anything to do with you. Ask for things trusting that God will give them to you. He was pleased that he asked for wisdom, so God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you ask for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart, such as no one... This is is very important. This is a big phrase. Such as no one else has ever or will ever have. We are talking right now in 1 Kings 3 about the wisest person that history has or ever will know, Solomon. And it goes on to say basically that because you asked for that, I'm going to give you all of this. I'm going to give you riches. I'm going to give you fame. I'm going to set you up in life so that you don't have to worry about anything. All because you trusted in me. That you had faith in me and made a request of me for something that wasn't for you. I mean, again, think about that. Solomon, anything you want, what do you want? I mean, it sounds like really the worst request that he could have come up with. I want an understanding heart. But it's that one request that pleases God in a way that nothing else could have. And it's really interesting, like I said, to note how that lame request, that really bad request, completely changed and shifted Solomon's life. He not only received a wise and understanding heart, but he received blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Not because he asked for it, but because God was good to him through his trust, through his faith. And here is what I think we really need to recognize at this part of Solomon's story. If there was one guy in all of history that could have relied on his vast amount of knowledge and wisdom, who do you think it would have been? Solomon. I mean, God gave it to him. Nobody like him before, and there has been nobody like him since. There's anybody who could have relied on that. He could have easily pointed to himself and said, I am the test case for the usefulness of information. I mean, we love information, don't we? Just, we are an information, just sucking world. Just give me more information. I mean, he had it all. He knew it all. He saw it all in life. And yet he never saw his wisdom. He never saw his knowledge. He never saw his intellect as the end of the equation. In fact, he saw it very differently. Solomon knew that there was only one thing that really defined a life that was fully committed, that was fully dedicated to God. And he gives that one thing in our key text for this morning. I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 3. 
And we're going to read a couple verses here that are going to be very familiar to a lot of us. And I guarantee you that many of us have read this verse over and over and over again. But I think the problem with it is that most of us probably have not applied this verse in our life. I mean, we can know it all day long, but to actually apply it and live it out in our lives is a whole different thing. And so Solomon, the very Solomon who said, God, give me an understanding and a wise heart, says, starting in verse 5 of Proverbs 3, the first word he says is what? That was not good, guys. The first word that he says is trust. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And this is, here we go. The guy who asked for understanding says this, do not depend on your own understanding. Don't do it. Seek God's will in all that you do, and he will show you the path to take. It's not up there, but verse 7, if you have your Bible open, this is my version of it, says, it says, do not be impressed with your own wisdom. I mean, I know it's probably none of us in here this morning, but are there, do you know anybody who's really impressed with their own wisdom? Their own smarts? Their own way of doing things? I know, I know it's probably nobody in here, but do you know anybody like that in life that is so stuck on themselves and how smart they are, how well that they can do things, who leans on their own understanding? I mean, again, Solomon had every opportunity to rest on his laurels, to turn to his God-given wisdom, to his intellect, to his insight. If there was anybody who had the opportunity and motive to tell God, God, you know what? I've got this. Solomon was that guy. I mean, he would have had every right. We would look at it and be like, you know you're right. If, if, if this verse actually would have said, trust in your own heart, lean on your own understanding, we'd been like, you know what? I understand what you're saying, Solomon, because you are the wisest man the world has ever seen. But he doesn't say that, does he? He says the direct opposite. I, he, he says, I cannot trust my own heart. I cannot lean on my own understanding. I have to seek God in everything that I do. You see, here's the thing. Our natural tendency, our human bent in life is to lean on our own experiences, to lean on our own feelings, to lean on our own perceptions of things. But do you know what the problem with that is? Relying on and trusting in and depending on Ourself or anybody else's understanding is always a recipe, always a recipe for danger and disaster. Have you guys felt that in your life where you said, you know what, I, I think that I know what I should do in this situation. I know what maybe what everybody else, I know what I should do in this situation. Without fail, what happens? It really ends badly. But I, when I know what I should do. We're tempted to claim that's not, that's, how, how many of you said this phrase or heard this phrase, that's not how I would do it. I mean, that's, that's not how I see it. That's not how I think, believe, or understand it to be. In many ways, we are like our furry animated friend this morning. Maybe if he's up. Gonna be a mighty king, enemies beware. Well, I've never seen a king or beast with quite so little hair. I'm gonna be the main event, like no king was before. I'm pushing up, I'm looking down. 
No one's saying do this. Now when I said that, no one's saying be there. No one's saying stop that. No one's saying see here. We don't run around all day. Well, that's definitely out. that last line, isn't it? I'm free to do it all my way. Like, Disney has a great ability, all right? Admittedly, Lion King, great, cute, wonderful. Disney has an amazing way of cutifying things that are very, very wrong. Because don't we all just think that in our lives sometimes? I cannot, I, I just want to be king. I just want to be queen of my own life and to take care of it all and to be in control of it all. My little phrase that I often say is, if, if I were the president, you know, if I find something I really don't, if I were the president, or if I were in charge of something, if I were king for the day, we all have that bent to us. Here is my encouragement to you this morning. Whatever you think to yourself, I want, I cannot wait to be in control of something. I cannot wait to be king or queen. Do not prop yourself up and your decisions with your own understanding. It will not end That's actually what Solomon is trying to say here in Proverbs chapter 3. When he says, do not depend on your understanding. The image and the actual phrase used in Hebrew there is, do not prop yourself up with yourself. But we always try to do that, right? Especially in America, we try to do that. We're self-made, man. I I can do this myself. I'm going to prop myself up with myself. Can you listen to that? Listen to what the Hebrew is saying. How stupid does that sound, honestly? I am going to prop myself up with myself. It's stupid, but we do it, don't we? We try to do that every single day of our lives. And what we cannot miss in this section right here in Proverbs chapter 3 is the last part of that verse. And I and he will show you which path to take. The Hebrew, again, there gives the idea of God providing a clearly marked path. Again, I always pick on Chalker because he comes and always says this. I just want God to give me a burning bush moment. And do you know what? Do you know what the key to a burning bush moment is? It's one word. Trust. Like, you aren't going to see a burning bush in your life. I'm going to tell you that right now. Don't expect to go home today and be like, Ryan said it. I don't, in, in spite of all the rain that's happened, there's going to be a burning bush today in my life. There won't be. But do you know what? There will be a very clearly marked path. I wish that God would just show me the way. I I wish God would just reveal in my life what he wants me to do. He has. If you would stop leaning on yourself and you would lean into and on him. We had to put both parts of the verse together to get the full scope of what Solomon is trying to communicate. Andy Stanley actually says it best when he says this. Submission or surrender, again, what we've talking about, been talking about this morning, trusting and depending on God. Submission and surrender precedes direction. Do you catch what that's saying there? What in the world do you need to do in your life if you want God to give you a very clearly marked path? Just give it all up. Lose control. Give him control. Trust in him to take control. I, I said this in my Sunday school class this morning, but I want to say it again because it's so very important. Guys, you see, a problem with obedience towards God is never about information. Against we are an information-sucking society. It's out there. It's at our fingertips. Just go. Get on Google. Find anything that you want to. It's yours. 
Don't miss this. God has given us plenty of information right here. Words on a page for us to read. Our problem is not information, guys. Our problem is in application. We have a really hard time of living out what God tells us in our lives. Again, with trust, it's very easy for me to talk about trust, to tell you about trust, for us to say, I guarantee you most everyone will walk out here today and be like, you know what? He was right. I do want to be more trusting in my life. And then you walk out these doors and you never put it into practice. You never live it out in your life. Our problem is not with information. It was with application. Information. This is amazing to me. Information never precedes direction in Scripture. Let's go back to the burning bush. Let's talk about that for just a minute. Moses sees it. It's on fire. He goes up to it. Does God give him a very clearly, well-spoken, laid-out plan? No. Go. Go rescue my people. How, God? Go. Tell, tell him I am. That's a good one, too. He, he, he doubles down on it and says, just tell him that I am. And Moses is probably like, like, we read that and we think, that's silly. I wouldn't go into something with just that. That's all God wants you to go in with. You don't need loads of information. You just need to go. You just need to say yes and do it. The question is never, what do I do? The question and the issue is always, what should I have done in any situation? I should have rested in God, and I should have rested in His wisdom and His understanding. Do you realize, do we realize that we are so very limited in our scope for seeing and understanding the things of God? So limited in seeing things God's way. And if we would just come to terms with that fact, just that one thing. We said in week number one, I am not God. If we could just grab a hold of that, it would change so much in our life. Here's the really big question for this morning. What if before you sought out any other options or information or opinions in life, on any given decision in your life, you took it to one place and one place only first? To God. Said, God, you lead me in this. You you tell me, you guide me in this and what I should do. Because what often happens in life is we show up in a situation that is a mess. And then we go to God. Oh, now I need to come to you. God, now you show me. And the options that he gives you are all really not the best options for you. Because what you should have done is well before that is said, God, lead me before I even get to this point in my life. Show me. That's what Solomon did in 1 Kings 3. Lord, give me a wise and an understanding heart so that I never, ever in my life come up to a spot where I have to come to you and have less than the best options in life. not far-fetched. I know some people might be sitting there thinking, but really, Ryan, like, do you know my life really? Like, God has asked me to trust him in these things. Yes, he is. I don't know what they are, but yes, he is asking you to trust him in those things. It's not far-fetched. It's biblical truth from the wisest man who has ever lived. Do not trust in yourself. Trust in God. And when we do that, he will make our paths clear. He will not make it, don't, don't mistake that, that I'm saying that God is going to make it easy, that he like, like, you get this idea that there's a tree in the road and there's brush in the road and God just magically comes through and just moves it all out of the way and we just move through it and we're like just floating, we're not even really walking anymore. That's not what happens. It doesn't become easy, it just becomes obvious. You ever had a moment in your life where something to you is just like so clearly obvious? Like this is so obvious, it seems, it does seem easy. Like that's what happens when we just put faith and trust in God. He just starts lining things up, and you're like, well, yeah, I should go here next. 
I, I should go there next. I heard something this week that was very interesting to me. I believe it was uh, the Navy. I think I was the branch of the military. Uh, that they would go out when they would do um, runs in their submarines and stuff like that. They would go, and the captain of the submarine would go on what he was, what was called closed orders. And it was literally this. They would give and hand an envelope to the captain of the submarine and said, do not open it, but you go here. Those are your coordinates. You go there. And then when they went to those coordinates, at that coordinate, they would just receive some more coordinates to go somewhere else. And you see, here's a problem in life that's really interesting and that's really neat, but like, not a lot of us do that. But that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to operate really kind of on closed orders. I give you this piece of information, and usually, most often in Scripture, it's just go. Go there, and I'll give you the next, start, the next part of the equation. We don't like that. We don't operate like that in our lives. God, I want you to give me the full picture, the entire plan right now. And God says, I am never going to give you information. It's never going to lead in the direction that I want it to. Just trust me, and I will make your path clear. But I want you to see something. If you're still in 1 Kings, I want you to turn just a few chapters over and go to 1 Kings chapter 11. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up here as well. 1 Kings 11. This, to me, is the saddest episode, one of the saddest episodes of the Bible. It's the saddest end to a life that we have in Scripture. And Solomon, the man that starts out and says, God, give me a wise, give me an understanding heart. He comes in Proverbs 3 and he says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. At the very end of his life, do you know what Solomon did? He didn't take his own advice. Didn't follow his own wisdom. He didn't follow godly wisdom at the end of his life. And he fell and he fell really hard. It says in uh, 1 Kings 11, in verse 1, now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Verse 4, it said, in Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful, being completely dependent, being completely trusting to the Lord his God as his father David had been. It says in verse 9, the Lord was very angry with Solomon for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. That's a very important phrase. God appears to you twice in your life and tells you what you should do. You probably shouldn't mess that up. Appeared to him twice. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's command. What did Solomon start to do in his life? He started to trust in his own understanding. So now the Lord said to him, Since you have not kept my covenant and you have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and I will give it to one of your servants. What in the world happened at the end of Solomon's life? What happened when Solomon relied on his own understanding? He destroyed everything. Everything that had been given to him in life, which was a whole lot, he destroyed it in that one moment because he wanted to trust in his own understanding. And here's the really big truth that I want you to take from Solomon in his life. And we do this so often, guys. We disqualify ourselves from the best of God when we fail to trust in him. It happened back with Moses and Aaron, too, in Numbers 20. I'm not going to read the entire verse, but Moses and Aaron, you remember, disobeyed God. And he says, because of that, he literally says, you have disqualified yourself from ever seeing the greater things that I want to show you. And, and do you know what I think happened to Solomon? Do you know th- what I think happened in his life? It's the same thing that happens to so many of us. 
he became filled with pride. He became arrogant and he became self-important. He eventually gave in to all of his hype. I mean, how many times do you think people came to him and said, Oh, Solomon, you are the greatest and the wisest man this world has ever seen and ever will see. And little by little, I think that that started to seep into Solomon's heart and he started to buy into all of that and said, yeah, you know what? I am. You know what? I can, I can do this on my own. You know what? I can have total control of my own life. I don't need anybody else to tell me what to do. And what pride and arrogance and self-importance do is they really are the enemy of wisdom and common sense and discernment. And whenever we feel in life that we're able to just go it alone, to do it all my way, to be king, we are effectively saying, I don't need to trust you, God. I don't need to trust you. I, I have this plenty covered myself. Information, insight, importance, wisdom, self-reliance, smarts are not enough in life. We need, desperately need and we need to always and forever be dependent on God. I want to take you to another guy in Scripture. Genesis chapter 12 is where his story begins for us. And his story begins with the simplest of words and in the simplest of ways. It begins with a yes. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4, says, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family. Go to the land that I will show you. I mean, do you get that? How ridiculous that command is. Like, that's not a lot to go on, God. Could you give me a little bit more? Go. That's all he says. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. You will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. And then catch the first part of verse 4. Like, this is not me. If this, if, if this had Ryan right here and he was talking to Ryan in the very next verse, I'd be like, I need more than that, thank you. It says this, So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed. I mean, Abram really is the unlikeliest of all of the people that God could use. I mean, there's nothing special about Abram. There's nothing flashy about him. He's no way looking for God. It does, we don't get that sense when we roll into chapter 12, oh, Abram has been searching out for God. He hasn't. He's not looking for him in any sense of the word. But luckily for Abraham, mercifully, fortunately enough for him, God was looking for a guy just like Abraham. Someone just like him who would just show trust. Someone like him who would just have a little faith in me. I mean, sure, Abram was a pagan. Sure, he was rather ordinary. I mean, isn't his call just pretty basic and simple? No smoke, there's no lightning, there's no wind, there's no fire, there's no earthquake. It's just a simple call to go. And, and do you catch the simplicity in Abram's response? Or better yet, the action takes. It's just... One simple little phrase. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed. I mean, to me, I would love to be that boring in my life. That God would say something to me, I would just do it. Wouldn't you love to be that boring in your life, that simple in your life, that God would say something to you and say, yes, I'm going. 
I mean, what business does someone like Abram have being the central part of God's plan? Do you realize that every single one of us that sit in this room this morning are here because of Abram and his yes in life? We only have access to God through Christ because of Abram's yes, and because he actually went. I'm sure there are a million things that go through Abram's mind when God says, go, leave everything. I mean, I know what I would have been thinking. Where am I going? How am I going to get there? What will I do when I get there? Those are just the opening questions. And what does God give Abram as a lead? It says, this is why you should go. This is why you should trust me. One word. Go. And the whole course of human history is changed. I, I, I don't overstate that. I'm not stretching that. The entire course of human history changes in the moment that Abram says... Yes, I'll go. But it didn't come without a heavy dose of trust and dependence on God. And I ask myself when I read the story of Abram constantly, why in the world would this guy have so much trust in a God that he wasn't even seeking after? A God that he didn't even know? God that just shows up in your life and says, hey, I want you to leave and go. Why in the world would Abram do that? And I really believe the answer, at least in part, is that God gave Abram grace. He gave him the grace to recognize no, no matter what Abram thought was true and right and wise, ultimately Abram was at the mercy of God's divine direction. Guys, when it comes down to it, we're all helpless. We're all utterly dependent on every movement of God, and that is really the starting point of everything. Recognizing our helplessness in life is the beginning of total trust. And could you internalize and, and, and know that this morning? And just look to God and say, God, you know what? I can't do any of this on my own. I'm totally and utterly helpless. Psalm 10, 14 says this about helplessness. Very simple. The helpless. Can we all come to agreement? That's everybody in this room. That's everybody in this world. The helpless put their what? Whoa, hey, somebody is on the ball here now. We are going with this word trust. The helpless put their trust in you. Abram's trust was rewarded, and he was blessed with promise after promise coming to pass. Going to his life, and he says, Abram, you're going to have descendants beyond what you can count. And Abram says, how's that going to happen? Because I don't even have a son. You will have a son. Like Everything in, in Abram's life is a test of his faithfulness to God, his trust in God. What does he do? He gets that son, and what did God ask him to do? The unthinkable, take your son and kill him. To show that you really and truly are going to follow after me. But it all started with one very tough and very risky yes. And that's the point. Guys, we have to risk in life. We have to have skin in the game in the life of faith. But as we do that and as we commit, God leads us in ever greater and clearer ways. I love the story, and some of you probably heard this before. It's an old joke. It's an old story, but if you haven't, it's a really good one. And maybe you've heard the story of the chicken and the pig. The two animals were discussing opening a restaurant together, and as they planned their menu, the chicken suggested that they serve ham and eggs. And the pig 
swiftly objected to that, saying, no, 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 thanks. I'd be committed. You would just only be involved. And you know what? I think it's a problem with most of us in life. We, we don't really want to be totally committed, totally surrendered to God. We just merely want to be involved. That's like the worst word that you could use about your faith. How is your faith? Committed or involved? You know what? I'm just, I'm just involved. It's just busyness. But from the very first, yes, it was clear that Abram was all in. I am totally committed. And God honored that trust with blessings beyond what Abram could imagine. But not only was he blessed, he was able to be a blessing to the entire world. Again, let me read here very quickly, verses 2 and 3. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And catch it, you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, uh, treat you with contempt, and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. And you may sit here this morning and ask yourself, how in the world am I blessed because of Abram's yes? Do you know a man by the name of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ was like the great, 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 That's how Abram blesses an entire world, is by giving us, through God's grace, through God's mercy, Jesus Christ. Guys, when when is it the wrong time to say yes to God? Anybody want to answer that one? When is it the wrong time to say yes to God? Never. it's, it's It's not a brain bender. It's not a trick question. Never. Never the wrong time. It is always the right time It is always the right thing to say yes to God. Guys, he's only ever looking for one answer when he asks us to do something for him. Yes. Not maybe. We're really good at that one. Or, you know, I'll think about it. Or this is really truly the one of our culture today. let's, Let's meet about this later. Or possibly it's what we've been talking about for four weeks now. I I'm too busy for what you're asking me to do, God. Guys, only one answer will do. Only one answer will please God. Only one answer has the potential to change your world, but also to change the world. For us to obey, to stay dependent, and to answer yes. Guys, we say no to other things in life so that we can say yes to the things of God. And again, I want you to truly believe this. When we say yes to God... He truly can change the world. I don't just say that. I don't say that lightly. I don't say that just to be like firing you up like, oh yeah, now I'm ready to go at it. Really and truly. Guys, all we have to do is we have to go back to Genesis chapter 12. Did God not change the entire world through one man who said yes to him? It happened. It's biblical truth. God wants to work through our yes to accomplish the best of what he has planned. I came across, I, I, I wish I could play it this morning, but I don't have time for it. I came across the old hymn that speaks so clearly to this idea of trust and dependence. We've, we've, we've done so many songs this morning that talk about trusting God, being dependent on God. We are nothing without you, God. But I love the old hymn. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus.